When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming up on the Gagan Pod, we'll be joined by former Premier League players Luke Wilkshire and Ash Westwood as we turn our attention to the return of the Premier League this weekend and ask just how many records will Liverpool break in 2020. We'll also reflect on a couple of cup competitions where big guns Manchester United and Arsenal were both outplayed by better opposition. We'll talk about the January transfer window and ask our guests whether they've yet got their CVs in for the vacant Newcastle Jets gig. Yes, hello and welcome to the Gagan Pod. Richard Bayless with you. Very excited for our first pod of 2020. Should be a big calendar year for football indeed. Joining me, of course, Luke Wilkshire, Ash Westwood. Uh, gents, hello to you both. Luke, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. And yourself? Oh, not too bad. Ash, uh, happy 2020. What does it have in store for the world of football? Yeah, just uh, obviously Champions League starts again February, so looking forward to that. Um, you know, it's be uh, some great games in that round of 16, and obviously uh, I was looking forward to the Premiership, but looks like a one-horse race, so uh, getting a bit bored of that. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the records later on in the show, because now it looks as though it's all about the records, not necessarily about who will win the Premier League. But before we get into the football chat itself, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, Luke, here in Australia when it comes to obviously the awful bushfires but I guess if there are you wouldn't call it a silver lining necessarily but one of the positives to come from it athletes from all walks of life all sports have come out and donated to it and you're dusting off the football boots in aid of bushfire recovery as well. (laughs) Yeah look it's it's been a a tragic time and and being down on the south coast there and you know being very close to it and knowing there's friends and family that have been affected it's um, obviously disastrous and it's great to see uh, Australians do what Australians do best, and that's pull together in a, in a in a tough time, and and to get out and support one another. And I think um, you know we're doing a fundraiser game, and yeah, I thought you know why not come out for one more? Hopefully it uh, it won't damage the body too much, but uh, you know it's all for a good cause. The listeners, of course, will not see it, but you've got a juice you've brought in. It's essentially a <laughs> ten liter bottle of this green liquid. Is this your get back to fitness routine? Yeah, something like that. I got two weeks, so I need to do all I can. <laughs> Who else is playing in it? So at the moment, we've got a few locked away. Uh, Brett Edmonton's going to come down and play, which is fantastic. Uh, David Carney, Scott Chipperfield, obviously Steve Corica as well uh, is going to come down. And, you know, look, we're, we're getting a few people there and uh, hopefully we'll get Frankie Farina down to be the coach for the day and hopefully get a good crowd and, and raise some good money. Yeah, some massive names involved. And hats off to Adrian Archuli from SBS who helped put it together. Good to see you out there for the Wolves. Now, Ash, we talk about some football. Let's go to your neck of the woods and talk about a Manchester derby that happened in the EFL Cup semi-final. First leg, of course, it's not quite over, or is it over? Because Manchester City's 3-1 winners could have been about 6-0. Yeah, it was. Um, one side, to be honest, one of those games that, you know, you knew after 10, 15 minutes that Man City were on it, Man United weren't. Um, you know, played a, a strange formation, I suppose. It was, it was 4-3-3, but they had uh, no centre-four. I think De Bruyne was playing up front, swapping with Bernardo Silva which made them really really flexible and had a lot of control in the middle of the park. So, um, you know, Man United found it tough. I think, again, it was another benchmark for where they actually are. You know, they're 
the three or four top, top players short of challenging for that uh, Premier League title. Um, so back to the drawing board for them, and I would expect them to be uh, fairly active in the transfer market if there's people available. How disappointing, Luke, is it that City can do that without either of their first choice number nines or a number nine on the on the pitch at all, really? Yet they're so far out of touch in the league. They might go in and win the FA Cup, the League Cup, but at the end of the day, we wanted that two-horse tussle, didn't we, in the Premier League? We're not going to get it. Yeah, it, it does appear that way. Look, Manchester City's a phenomenal team, and the, and the depth they've got, like you, you said there, and you know when you've got someone like, players like Jesus and, and Aguero on the bench, um, and still to win comfortably uh, against Manchester United is saying something. But look, Liverpool are, are being phenomenal, and, and Man City they slipped up. It's simple as that, and I, and I think they they themselves knew and seen the form that Liverpool's in, and, and sort of gave it away, and will concentrate on the cups um, and the Champions League. Waking up in Manchester today, Ash, what would that be like? Of course, you're a City fan, but you went through the academy at United. You know how the fans work for both clubs. What will it be like there today? Oh, they'll be uh, they'll be fuming. I think Man United were putting a, a bit of pressure on from the stands. They were, you know, trying to will the team to get the ball forward a little bit quicker. They're overplaying at the back, but you know they were saying there might be a few spare tickets at Old Trafford for this game. But there's anything but. Uh, it was packed to the rafters. You know, big people in the crowd as well. Wayne Rooney was there. Obviously, so Alex Ferguson, Ryan Giggs. So they all came out to watch, and they'll be very disappointed. And it's just uh, you know another step back. Just when Man United started to look like they were going forward. It's just another little slap to say, listen, you know, we're near and uh, they won't be up because Man City just uh, are pulling away from them. With, with, with that saying that, Rich, sorry, um, you know, man, man, you know, that was their only chance of winning any kind of silverware this year and, and the fact that that's now gone, you know, what, what else have they got left to yeah. play for? I don't think they're going to get... I mean, they've got Wolves, aren't they, in the FA Cup, but that's a replay and then we're very unconvincing about them and it's obviously only only fourth round coming, so it's a long way for a trophy and, uh, you know, that'll be uh, very disappointing for them. Yeah, they had no shots on target against Wolves in that FA Cup game, so there aren't too many silver linings in that one either. We'll talk a little bit later on in the pod about their January and maybe what we see happen. It looks as though more players will be going out than coming in at United at the moment. Tomorrow, of course, we've got the second as we record. We have the second Cup semi-final between Leicester and Villa. Who, who plays City in the final, gents? Uh, for me, on, on form, it's got to be Leicester City. Um, you know, and I think that would make for a great final, the form that Leicester's been in uh, against Manchester City. I think, um, yeah, for me, they're, they're too good for Villa. I joke, of course, because City can still throw it away. You would think a, a two-goal advantage, not in, not too insurmountable in a lot of semifinals, but given the golfing class, you sense it might be going back to the Etihad. Of course, it's been a big week in the Cups. There was a big round of FA Cup in the third round. What does it mean for you, gents? Of course, former Premier League players, you've played at the top and then down through the leagues England in England as well. Do you still get excited by the FA Cup in the way that we hear that it, it used to be? I think it's tough. I mean, when we were growing up, and it certainly being English, you know, you always dreamt of playing at the, the Twin Towers. Wembley was always the, the one where it would be a, a big, you know, day for... Cup day, everybody would, would sit at home with the, with the uh, lunches and whatnot and, and watch the FA Cup was a big occasion. But since the, uh, you know, the Champions League has come and obviously the Premiership has attracted more and more stars, the shine has come off the FA Cup a little bit. But where it still has its magic is for you know, the smaller clubs to get those big teams at home in, in you know, the fourth round, or the fifth round or whatever. It, you know, it can really turn a small club season around. You draw Man United or Chelsea or somebody like that at home at your stadium, then instantly you get um, you know loads of money for your club. So that's why it's still so special. Replays, yes or no, Luke? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, 
you know, back in the day, they, they didn't have the replays. And I think it, it, it adds that little bit extra to the FA Cup. Like I say, it's lost that bit of spark. And the fact that you know that there's just going to be a result on the day will, will give it that little bit more of a spark. Do you have any particular stories from your playing days when you were, you know, either at Middlesbrough playing as the, the big dogs or, or maybe later on at Carlisle when you weren't as such that you sort of hold fondly from the FA Cup? Yeah, look, I had um, had a really good experience playing against Arsenal at Old Trafford in the semi-final of an FA Cup, although we ended up on the, the losing end of it, uh, which was disappointing. John Lucafesta, our own goal, is on 1-0. Uh, funny enough, had a had a really good chance, and I remember coming back, I can't remember who it was, I was in the commentary, and said, I, 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 bet, uh, I bet he wishes that chance fell to Alan Boxic and not Young Wilkshire. <laughs> and uh, he was absolutely right, whoever said that. <laughs> What about you, Ash? When you when you watch the FA Cup round come up, I mean, for us, the Premier League has become so important for all 20 clubs and it's almost seen as a bit of an opportunity like Jurgen Klopp took to rest players, young players come in, it's almost a bit of a distraction from them. But do you think it gets the respect it deserves these days? I think it does in some cases. Um, you know, normally if you look at clubs that have just took a new manager, for example, like Arsenal or, or somebody like that, then obviously they're doing everything for their profile to get some silverware, you know, teams that are around about the top half that need some silverware to have a bit of a successful season. But then you have the teams like Bournemouth, you know, Eddie Howe in particular has, has never played a strong side in that FA Cup for Bournemouth. He almost disrespects it because all they're thinking about is survival. So because the money's so big in the Premiership and everybody needs to stay up, you know, if you're around about, you know, six, seven from bottom, you don't need the distraction. You need to stay up because that's where the 100, 200 million pounds is. So it, it's the money of the Premier League that's, that's driving the, the shine a little bit off the FA Cup. Watford, of course, were 3-0 up against Tranmere and it's almost like Nigel Pearson said, hang on a second, we don't want to be in this competition. Just ship a few goals in. But they have a replay to look forward to as well. Bournemouth have to play against an Arsenal side that, let's face it, were outplayed by a better opposition uh, a couple of nights ago in Leeds United, the first 45. Would have been nice to probably end the game at halftime, I thought. But the big talking point coming out of this game, gents, Mikel Arteta's hairdo. I mean, what's going on with that? Well, syrup, innit? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not one to talk. Mine ain't, ain't so great at the moment. <laughs> you, you'd appreciate the Lego head look? <laughs> no, look, uh, he's got a good, good, strong head of hair. Uh, he doesn't have wimbacks like me. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know which I'd prefer. <laughs> it's obviously, you know, interesting to see how it unfolds for Arteta. The good signs already, tactically, in what he's been able to do. But he must have given them one hell of a spray at halftime after being outplayed by, admittedly, one of the better teams in the championship. But they weren't anywhere near at the races that first half. No, not at all. I think he's used the, the same spray, spray he's used to dye his hair at halftime because uh, the reports that were coming out was, uh, you know, he got stuck into him. He questioned their uh, intensity, the desire. And you've seen uh, an instant change in the second half. They started to press in the final third. They tried to, you know, up the tempo and get after Leeds, stop them playing out from the back. And it was a, a different story. But if Leeds had took the chances first half, then, uh, you know, they wouldn't have got that opportunity to respond because it could have been three or four. Obviously hit the bar as well. Um, but it's showing that he's bringing a bit of organisation, a bit of the old school uh, mentality back to Arsenal, which is, you know, if we're you know, being honest, they've lacked over the years because they've always been a bit of a soft touch and now he's st- starting to get in amongst them. Yeah, it might just be the, the spark they need to move on from here and do something in the league as well as the FA Cup potentially as well. Now, we saw an interesting moment happen at the Etihad. Of course, Manchester City didn't have too many issues in going through to the next round with a 4-1 win over Port Vale, but they did concede. And the man that scored, a guy called Tom Pope, had been on Twitter a few months previous saying that he wishes he would play against John Stones every week. He'd score 40 goals in a season. <laughs> he did score in this one, and afterwards he didn't back down. He jumped on Twitter and said, actually... 
I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I'd actually score 50 goals in a season. <laughs> the word is that they went into the Manchester City dressing room after. They all had a laugh about it, except John Stones wasn't prepared to even talk to Tom Pope. I wonder as a manager or a coach, Luke, when you see your players going a bit mad on Twitter and admittedly with a lot of character and good humour, do you step in and say something? No, look, uh, not if you back it up. If he, if he's there and he said that, but he goes and backs it up, I've got no problem with that. I, you know, he had the same with, with uh, one of my strikers last year, Thomas James, and he's he's a confident lad and he, he's outspoken and, and he'll sometimes go and say things in the media and you need to try and calm him down. And But like I said to him, when when, he, when things have come out that, that he has said, I said that's no problem as long as you back it up because the moment you don't, then that's a problem. What did he say? He said, we'll beat him easy. I thought we well, questioned well, well, the manager, well, didn't he? No, no, no. He was, he, he said, <laughs> we, had, we, had, we were in the playoff games, and, and I think we we're playing the Canberra in the national national playoffs. And he and he just come out. I didn't see it. It was, it was already on the website. Uh, just saying, no, oh, no, we'll smash him either. Easy. They're rubbish. He smashed the manager behind his back. That wasn't in public <laughs> down there in Wolves. Before we move on from the FA Cup, just a word on Liverpool. Obviously, a Merseyside derby in any competition is massive. We saw some feeling in this one too, Ash, because we saw the Toffees fans turning their back on you'll never walk alone, which I thought was fantastic. You want to respond with something, but then the kids turn up against a, a decent Everton side. Curtis Jones, what an amazing strike. Oh, it was unbelievable. Uh, instinctive, but I think that was, you know, kind of how it's going at Liverpool. You know, he didn't even look. He just got out of his feet, knew straight away what he wanted to do. Obviously whipped it in the, in the top corner and it just shows confidence, which is what Klopp's uh, bringing, which the performances of all all the players are bringing. You know, the training must be so bright, so crisp and, and energetic that everybody's, uh, you know, reaping the rewards from it. You know, the young lads, I mean, what was he, 18 years of age, I think. Uh, youngest scorer in a derby since Robbie Fowler, I think, uh, in, in 94. Um, and obviously, like I say, it's just, you know, that's what's happening in Liverpool's season. That You know, remember they only lost one league game last season. They haven't lost yet this season. It's it's phenomenal, really, form they're in, and everybody's just uh, getting on board. Having come through the system yourselves, what do you think that would be like for a teenager playing under Jurgen Klopp? Because the way he kind of supports young players, you know, his positive demeanour, it seems as though it would be an amazing experience, and you get so much confidence from playing under him, particularly when you're so young. I think you can see that and everyone sees that the his man management skills and the way he, he treats his players um, and believes in them, puts that belief and confidence in, it's instilled in them. And, and that's why you see these young guys when they're coming in and, and playing at a derby um, in, in front of the crowd, like that feeling so comfortable, like you say, to, to get that opportunity and not think twice and just do what you're naturally doing, what you've been working on. I think it's, it's you know, it's infectious. I think, I think it's all through the club. I think for me, going back to, obviously, come through the United Academy, uh, the manager's the, the one who sets the rules and sets the discipline, but also the strength of the managers is your senior pros. And you look at Liverpool, like your Milners, your Hendersons, Van Dykes, and they, they bring the best out of the young lads as well because they have this little bit of a code in the dressing room where this is the certain this is the way we do things around here and all the young players learn off it. And it's important that your, your peers at the club a real good role models, and that's what Man United used to have in like your Roy Keynes, your your Gary Nellers, your Ryan Giggs. Is that's kind of gone out of the Man United club, and it seems to be with Liverpool now with with those senior pros. How many trophies realistically do you think they will win this season? They can win five. They've already won the Community Shield. Whether you want to call that one a, a major trophy or not, but then the Club World Cup. They're still in three competitions: the FA Cup, Champions League, and of course the Premier League, where it looks like they're almost there. How many more do they win, gents? I've got at least one. Yeah, Premier League's uh, a stick on, obviously. I'm not quite sure about Champions League. FA Cup, I think they're, they're obviously going to rest. So they, there's a long way to go in that. So I'm not sure if, they, if they'll get as far in that. Um, you know, probably probably two for me, the Super Cup and the Premier League. You'd take that. 
You would. That'd be phenomenal. Um, obviously, the Premier League is the one that they're after. You know, I think if you ask Klopp now and you say you got the Premier League, he'll be more than happy. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League that does return this weekend. And certainly on paper, the most intriguing game does involve the Reds. It's Tottenham up against Liverpool at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Now, Jose Mourinho, we talk about the fact that his third season never particularly goes well at any club. What about his third week? Because he started so well, a couple of great results when he first got the post, and now it's all kind of falling apart in all competitions. Are we already seeing signs that things have deteriorated for Mourinho at Spurs? I think what we're seeing is Daniel Levy with a squeaky bump time in here because, you know, Mourinho, I think, is the, was the first manager to spend a billion pounds, um, so doesn't no, not shy of, of demanding transfer. Transfers, so he, he's assessed his squad now. He he had the honeymoon period. He realizes that they're, they're not quite the team they were last year with personnel, people not being happy. And it looks to me like uh, there's going to be a bit of money spent. He, he certainly can't get the best out of the Tottenham players of, of old from a uh, you know six twelve months ago. And there's a lot of work to be done there. Where do they need the most amount of help? Because they were linked with Thomas Lamar overnight from Atletico Madrid, a loan-to-buy deal potentially. He's spoken openly about the fact that with Harry Kane out injured, they need a goal scorer. You know, obviously looking over the fact that Son Heung-min, Lucas Moura, these guys have great records. He wants someone else. What realistically, though, do they need to go from being what they are now to genuine contenders? Yeah, I think a lot of work. I think they definitely need another uh, number nine. Like, say, Kane being out, I think, is a big blow. Although, when he's been out, Son has always stepped up and, and, and been in good goal-scoring form. But I think, um, you know, they, they they need more. They need more from, from, from the front uh, without Kane scoring. And I think, like I say, with, with Ericsson being unhappy, I think, is a problem there. And it's not easy, but he's going to have to change personnel. Um, Del Ali's probably the only one who's really taken to Mourinho, I'd say, that, that it's coming to some good form. And... Like I say, since that honeymoon period's over, um, I don't think he's going to be too happy with, with the squad. And like I say, I think there would be some money spent. Yeah, I think uh, at the back as well, um, you know, they've not defended well all season. You know, very rarely keep clean sheets, look a bit open. Um, you know, Mourinho will obviously be uh, aware of this trait he has as parking a bus. So he's trying to play attacking, but I bet deep down inside he's thinking, listen, I need to shut up shop here, get back to a little bit of boring, winning one nils and stuff like that. Because without Harry Kane, the goals aren't going to be as fluid. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is get the unhappy players out and, and freshen it up a little bit like what Solskjaer did at Man United. You know, he got rid of some of the bad eggs. You know, he's had to take a few steps back because they're going to go forward with, with more signings. So they might actually have to be a little bit patient with Marino. He's not going to be an instant hit there for sure. Yeah, it's not just Christian Eriksen as well that's seemingly on his way out because Harry Winks has been linked with both Manchester clubs. So that's one to keep an eye on. But in terms of the football match itself, I mean, it's all kind of set up for Liverpool to get at least something out of this, but it wouldn't surprise me and I'm sure plenty of others for Mourinho to be the guy that stops Liverpool's unbeaten run. Do you see any chance, certainly on paper when you look at the two sides, the form they're in, the momentum they do or don't have, can Spurs get something from this game, you think? Yeah, I think they can. Um, you know, they've got speed, haven't they, with Moore and Son uh, to hit teams on the break, but if they, they just need to be really compact against Liverpool, try and stop them scoring and, and the game being so open, and then they've always got a chance because they have got some match winners there. Yeah, they do, but I, I don't think so. In the form that they're in and the form that Liverpool's in, um, you know, Liverpool have just got that momentum and I, I don't think Tottenham will be able to, to shut the back door there and Liverpool have got too much for them. So Liverpool obviously gunning for Arsenal's record of 49 matches unbeaten. They're 12 short of it at the moment and it's still obviously a long way away because anything can happen over the course of one 90-minute match, let alone 12. But looking at the record books, gents, now that it's almost a foregone conclusion, which records do you think are most 
up for grabs. We talk about most points. That was set by Manchester City at 100. Most wins in a season is 32 out of 38. Liverpool, of course, have only drawn one so far. Then you've got that unbeaten run. Which ones will they break, do you think? They'll be having a break all. I think that'll be the driving force behind them. And, you know, like you say, the, the comfortable lead they're in, I don't think they'll be looking back and, and counting the amount of points they're in front. They'll be looking at trying to break those records and to, to really be in the history books. I think, um, well, last season, obviously, uh, Man City uh, were 98 points, Liverpool 97. So I think the 100 points is is, is tough. Um, goals scored on Man City 95 last season, Liverpool 89. So uh, they're going to have to go a little bit to, to do that. I think 49 goals they've got already this season. So more or less halfway. Maybe maybe the 100 goals is the one I think that they could break. Uh, the wins, 19, they've got out of 20. So obviously 18 games left. You know, they need to to win a fair few of them to, to get the wins. And, and also, if they're still in and around the Champions League and they've won the league with, with four or five games to spare, you might see a little bit of rotation. So the records may become a little bit hard because it is a little bit of a one-horse race. Are they already in the conversation for the best Premier League side we've ever seen? Obviously, the Invincibles from Arsenal are there. You probably throw at least one of the Manchester United sides, City, from their second title, um, if not last season, of course, into the mix too under Pep Guardiola. Surely they're already in that conversation record regardless. Not, not if they don't go on and, and, and finish the season off the way they've begun it. I think, um, you know, if they were to go and, and you talk about those records, if they were to go and lose five five games between now and the end of the season and, and they, they stumble over the line, they, they won't be regarded as one of those teams. Should they continue to perform the way they perform and then by the end of the season and they lift that trophy, for sure they will be. We'll be keeping an eye over the next few weeks as to what records are in the sights of Liverpool. Certainly at the moment, there are four or five within their reach, but it will take a fair bit of momentum over the last few months of the season. Moving on to other matches this weekend, gents, which ones in particular will be keeping you up? Well, I uh, obviously Man City fan. Uh, Villa have just come into a little bit of form. They play them away. Uh, you know, Aston Villa have done okay recently. Um, struggling a little bit from not got a striker, so they're desperately trying to get somebody in. But always keeping out for that one. But I think the, the the relegation battle, if you like, is Bournemouth. They're in terrible form. I think they lost eight of the last ten. Um, you know, there's rumours Eddie Howe could be on his way. And obviously Watford have turned it around a little bit in Nigel Pearson. So that's a, a big, big game for Bournemouth and, and obviously for Watford as well being second bottom. Just on the Eddie Howe thing, I mean, he's a manager that's been linked previously with big clubs, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal. Not too sure whether there's ever been a heap in it or whether it's just media speculation linking him to those posts. Has he outstayed his welcome almost at Bournemouth? He's done a great job there, but should he have jumped a little bit Sooner, do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if you look at Bournemouth as a whole, yes, they've got some owners rushing on as I think who's, who's got a bit of money, but you know, it's, it's a small stadium. I think it's twelve or fifteen thousand max. So there's only a so far you can take Bournemouth. It's impossible to compete with the big ones. You know, when you're in a rich vein of form, can you keep it going? I mean, I know Sean Dyche very well at Burnley, and you know he's always on the edge. He has a, he does a fantastic job, but it's, it's one of those clubs that. You know, it's hard to take it to the next level. Sean Dyson, an unbelievable. I think he finished seventh or whatever it was. Got him in the uh, in, in Europe. But those clubs, there's always a shelf life. And uh, sometimes I think you have to move while you're hot. Um, and you might just miss the boat. And, and Eddie, oh yes, he's going to get another job. But will he get a, a top six Premier Premier League job out with Bournemouth in such bad form, it's doubtful. That's that's one of the you know the best the best coaches do that. The best managers do that. They they feel it. They know the timing when it's right, and that's when to when to leave. You know, and and you're right there. That you can't stay at such a club for so long. You can only go so far. And and like I say, the top the top ones, they know. Okay, this is as far as I'm going to go. It's time to go on a high, rather than you getting into that sort of 
variety to black area where you end up getting sacked. You mentioned Burnley there as well, Ash. They've got a, a tough away trip to Chelsea, but maybe it's the best time to go there. It's always somewhat of a, a free swing, and Burnley's record against the bigger clubs is not too bad. Chelsea not in great form at the moment in the league either. Have you ever had conversations with Sean Dyche about whether he does sort of accept the fact that he's taken them to where they can go and he maybe looks elsewhere, or do you sense that he's just got Burnley so much in his veins that he'll stay there till the death? Yeah, I mean, normally what he talks about is, is 40 points. Uh, that's on his agenda all the time. Um, you know, the fans obviously want more and, and, and you know, they, they expect more now at Burnley, which is a big thing. The expectation there is quite big because they have finished seventh before, um, but he always plays it down. He always says, you know, 40 points and... No, he's happy where he is. I think he, he knows um, he's, he's been pigeonholed a little bit. You know, people see him as this four four two coach, but, you know, he's got a lot more to him than that. Um, but he, he's done, I think he's seven. In- hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. To his seventh, eighth, eighth year now at Burnley. So he's had a fantastic run there, but he's done a, a marvellous job. And, you know, he's not under any pressure because his, his record's so good. Looking at Chelsea, gents, apart from... A- you know, a win over Arsenal that was pretty much just secured in the last 10 minutes a couple of weeks back in a London derby. Their results have been awful, really, haven't they, over the last couple of months. Do you sense that that bubble has burst with Frank Lampard and that they need to move quickly, Luke, going into the January window? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, obviously, they were in a, a great vein of form earlier in the, in the season and, and had a little bit of a hiccup. And, you know, that's, that's tough because they've got a lot of young players and that consistency is, is what you need to try and find. And, and you know, it's challenging, but... I've been impressed by Chelsea and the way Lampard's got them playing. Uh, there's there's some really good, young, talented players that are that are playing some really good, entertaining football, and, and I believe he, he he wants to work with them. Don't get me wrong; I'm sure he's going to go and be looking to bring in one or two, but I don't think they'll be one of the biggest spenders. Yeah, I think um, you know he's, he's exactly right, right there, Luke. The consistency is all they're they're concerned about. They have got young players, and there's always dips in form. You know, Mason Mount's had a little bit of a dip. He was on fire at the start of the season. You know, I know a few of the coaches at Chelsea. Um, they are looking to to strengthen, but they're not going to bring anybody in for the sake of it. They're happy with what they've got. They want to try and improve in the final third. They're looking at maybe wide players and someone that can score because they have been battering teams recently, but just not been putting the ball in the back of the net. But as a whole, they've got a good squad and it's just finding those you know, finer percentage players and the, and the few and far between. You know, you people like Jaden Sancho's, but they cost you an arm and a leg. And unless they can get someone that can affect that first eleven. You know, there won't be too much action unless it's, like I say, a real, real top sign and that's that's the right price. Well, they are, of course, holding on to fourth and it seems like no sides below them really want to take it off them at the moment, even though Chelsea have had that bad run of form. They do still hold on to that Champions League place. And as we move on to some big 2020 quickfire predictions, given that it's the start of the calendar year and after we've all gone through our teams of the decade and goals of the decade, etc., let's move on to some predictions. And let's start with that one, gents. 
who does finish fourth when you look at it at the moment? There's probably six sides in there. Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham, the big ones chasing. Wolves and Sheffield United refuse to go away either, but at the moment it's Chelsea's. Who do you think finishes fourth? Yeah, well, for me, if, if you look at the sort of form that, that teams have been in, um, you know, I, you look, Man United are five points behind Chelsea as it is, and Man United can't seem to get into any kind of run. When, the moment they look like they're starting to pick up, they, they pop back into their, their old miserable selves. So, look, I think it's there for Chelsea to lose. I think uh, Chelsea's got a good enough squad, uh, albeit the, the young squad that they've got. I think, um, you know, Lampard's shown that, that they can, he can get a, a good a good result with them. Um, like I say, that consistency we talk about, but I think uh, there's enough there to keep that full space. Yeah, I think Chelsea, um, you know, they've got a, enough firepower, I think, once they start taking the chances. The only thing that can, can prevent that, I think, is if Man United get two really, really good signings. Um, you know, maybe Pogba might go. They definitely need a centre midfielder with McTominay being injured. Matic came on uh, today in the derby, didn't do great. Um, and obviously they're crying out for a centre-forward. Rashford's in, in decent form, but he's on the left-hand side. Marshall's in and out. I think they started today with Greenwood up front. I mean, you're not going to finish fourth in the Premier League if you've got Greenwood up front, although he's potentially a top player, but at, at the age he is, they need, they need someone that can stick the ball at the back of the net that's done it, you know, season after season. And unless they spend and get someone, you know, it's going to be Chelsea. I guess the positive for Blues fans is that they have had such a bad run, yet they do have a five-point buffer. It almost seems as though nobody below them is really mounting any case to grab that Champions League spot off them. But moving on to our predictions on who goes down at the moment. Ash, you mentioned the fact that Bournemouth, they are well and truly on the slide, but we're seeing a resurgence, if you like, from Watford. Norwich have played well in parts. Who do you guys think will go down? Well, Norwich are, are shooing. Uh, they're definitely going to go down for me. Obviously, 14 points. Only one, I think, was it three premiership games. And, you know, they're going to need to win at least five or six to, to, to stay up. So that's a remarkable turn in, in form for them. And I think they've won one in the last five. Watford uh, are doing well. Won three in the last five. So, you know, he's certainly got them going. On, on For me, if you're looking at, I think, Norwich, Villa. Um, and I'd say... Um, well, maybe, maybe even Bournemouth, although they do have good strikers, but um, definitely what uh, Norwich and definitely maybe Villa because they they struggle up front. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think um, Norwich, I think, are, are too far gone. Uh, even though they're they're starting to to pick up a few results, I think uh, it's going to be a battle between between that bottom four: Bournemouth, Villa, Watford, and and Norwich. I think are the ones that are that are going to be a certainty. Aston Villa, of course, just one point clear of the drop zone. They've been linked with quite a few strikers, as you say, Ash. They they need goals up front. I see Christoph Piancek from AC Milan, a great striker, of course. The Polish marksman is the latest one link. No doubt they need someone in. It's remarkable to look at Norwich City and Sheffield United, the two sides that were the two best in the championship last season. How can it be so different? in the top league. We know that Norwich have had some pretty bad injuries over the, the course, Luke, but generally they're so far apart. I mean, Sheffield United, as we say, mentioned in that top four conversation, Norwich looking like they're down. Yeah, I remember speaking about Sheffield United probably maybe a month ago or so. I think it was just before the Christmas period and I was like, oh, can they sustain it? Can they can they stay where they are? When's that when's that drop going to come? And they're just, they're, they're professional, they're hard, hardened, they're, they're very difficult to beat. They're, they've got a great home record, uh, no club, uh, I think in the Premier League likes to go there and play in Sheffield, and they've done a fantastic job. And I think uh, you know my hats off to them. I think um, they're gonna they're gonna be there and they'll they'll be in the the top ten. Yeah, I think Sheffield United. Obviously, we've spoken about them before with the the three at the back and the the overlapping centre halves, if you like, overlap in the wing backs. So they've got a real bit of flexibility in them. 
They've got a lot of players that have played a lot of games in League One, never mind the Championship. So it's the first time for a lot of their players being in the Premiership. And they've just got a bit of spirit and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're quite intense. So they're, they're doing well. I think with Norwich, for me, um, having watched them, I, I just think they massively overplay at the back. You know, the coach is uh, completely like... Um, concentrating on his brand of football you know they're, they're taking risks in their own half they're, they're giving the ball away and when you give the ball away in the Premier League in your own half you know nine times out of ten with those quick transition moments it ends up in the back of the net so I think Norwich need to change the style a little bit if they are going to stay up and I just think that's the difference between the two sides Alright next prediction for 2020 how many managers in total will be sacked now we've seen six sacked nine changes in total if you include interim managers the record from a couple of years ago in 17-18 were 15 so we're well and truly on 15 um, pace on record pace if you like how many over the course of the season still to go I think only two possible Eddie we've mentioned and and maybe Dean Smith although I think he's done a great job but they've got I think they've got Chinese owners Villa and you never know what's coming when with those they are quite trigger happy if the, if the pressure builds they could they could knee jerk react but everybody else you know you look down the bottom it's it's only going to be some in the bottom half you've got Norwich that will be happy with the brand Watford obviously just appointed Bournemouth we've mentioned Villa West Ham just appointed Moyes next one's Burnley I think Sean Dyche is as safe as ours is and then obviously Brighton and new manager Potter is, uh, has done well for them uh, and Newcastle Steve Bruce so for me there's only two in risk it's also amazing how quickly these things can turn because Ralph Hassan-Hoodle at Southampton beaten 9-0 earlier in the season. All of a sudden, he's looking like a genius sitting there in 12th and Steve Bruce looks like he'll get through a season at Newcastle United. Not many would have predicted that. What about you, Luke? How many more to go? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think Ash has just hit that on the head. I think uh, I'd agree with everything he said. Uh, like you say there, I think you, you look there at Southampton after the 9-0, you, you thought he was going to be next to go, um, but they've really pulled it together and, and Newcastle are just... They're just floating there. They're, you know, Steve Bruce is doing enough. I think uh, that just shows you the other side. Sometimes it's not required because you would have put your house on, like you're saying, him getting sacked at nine and they've stuck with him and, and he's had a bit of time to stamp his authority and put his, his philosophy through. And now they're starting to reap the rewards. I mean, it was was it last weekend they beat Tottenham, which was a, a great result and that's a, a fierce derby, I, su- I suppose. There was always a bit of rivalry between those two. So um, there's, there's two sides to the coin. Sometimes it's not the best option to sack. Speaking of managerial exits and openings, you guys got your CVs in for the Newcastle Jets job? No, not mine. I'm, I'm locked in for the, the Wolves next year. I, I understand that Bridgie's there. That's why he couldn't join us in the gagging pot. Is, ah, that, is right? that right? Okay. <laughs> oh, for, for me, it's uh, what is it? it's uh, it's like rocking horsemen who are in it trying to get a job in Australia in these leagues <laughs> for an English coach. It's uh, it's pretty hard. So uh, sometimes they don't even get looked at the CVs. I think it's more about who you know, what you know, um, and then, then maybe you get an opportunity. Given that the opportunity doesn't come up very often, does that mean that you expect there'll be just a stack of names on Laurie McKinnon's desk um, for this post? I would have thought so. I mean, I heard an interview uh, from him the other day. He was saying at 3-0 when the third goal went in, I think he got six CVs arriving before he'd even sacked the manager, which was uh, a bit harsh. But that just shows you the amount that comes in. You've got people jumping the gun, I suppose, applying for jobs that aren't even available, which is... uh, a little bit out of out of sorts, but you know, there's no shortage I'd like to of know who they were. I'd like to know who they were. That'd be that'd be interesting to see who's. I think Sven's was one, wasn't it? Sven, yeah, <laughs> he's always around. Yeah, Sven Joran Eriksson uh, linked with the job. So too Harry Kuehl, of course, your old uh, national teammate. What would it be like, do you think, for a club to bring H back? Given obviously how big a name he is, what he's achieved in the game. We saw him play for the Melbourne sides in the A League. What about as a manager? What would he bring, do you think, to the A League? 
Well, he'd, he'd definitely bring a presence and, um, you know, that wow factor. You know, Harry Kuehl's Harry Kuehl and for him to, to come back would, would definitely um, give that wow and, and bring back the crowds, especially wherever it may be for, for so long, though, depending on results. I think, um, you know, obviously he's had a tough time uh, in the UK and there's no hiding from the fact he's been actively looking for, for a new job. Um, so, look, you never know and in football to... It's a crazy world as we know it, and it can take you to many different places, and I wouldn't be surprised if one day we do see him back here. Yep, let's keep an eye out for that one. Returning to the continent and the January window is in, well, you wouldn't really call it full swing. It never really gets into full swing, does it? It seems like it's a big month of rumours, and some are absolutely ridiculous and never going to happen. But I guess we've spoken about both clubs already in this sense, gents, but which is more active, do you think, out of Chelsea and Manchester United this month? I think Man United, um, because there's so much work and, and so much you could probably do to improve that side. With Chelsea, we've, we've touched on a little bit. They've got a good squad. You know, they're looking for the, the finer percentage players to come and enhance their squad. Where Man United, I think, you know, you look at, take three or four players out of that side now, and I think every single position you could strengthen fairly easily by, by adding some quality players. You know, they, they look thin, they look young. They look uh, nowhere near the, the squad that Chelsea's got. So I would expect Man United to be uh, a lot more active than Chelsea. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. I think when you when you say there about Man United, they look thin, they look young. And you look at the Chelsea squad, which is young also, but you look at them and they look in a different light. When you're seeing Chelsea play and the confidence in their playing is different when you're seeing Man United. And, and they are definitely the ones who need to strengthen more. And I think Chelsea, like I say, would maximum be one or two and they would be specific buyers. The rumour is that both clubs are fighting for Edinson Cavani. As we said before, you, you never really know what to make of rumours. But if you could, if you're in charge of recruitment at Manchester United, Ash, two players, you've got the budget to do it. Who would you bring in? Uh, definitely a centre midfielder. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be looking at Madison. Um, if if you've got the money to go and get him centre midfielder or number ten, whatever you like, someone that can influence in the final third. And the centre forward, it's going to get you goals. Um, you know, they're hard to find. Um, you know, you look across the leagues, you know, you instantly think there's one available that, that would improve. Not going to be the answer long term, but Mandzukic, obviously, he's not getting a great run where he is. You know, he's a seasoned campaigner that can come in and improve that forward line straight away that should be available. Well, you mentioned Madison. Harry Winks is another one that's linked. Obviously, things aren't going too well at Tottenham, so maybe he'll see Manchester United as a, a good move. But James Madison surely won't see Manchester United as a great move. He's seen his former teammate in Harry Maguire go there. He probably hears quite a lot about what's happening at Manchester United. But the way Leicester are going, why on earth would you move? You wouldn't. I don't think, not at this point of time, not when you're, you're at a Leicester team playing the way they're playing and the way he's playing. Um, and like I say, and if you're looking up over at Manchester at the moment, in the red half of Manchester, you're going, you know, that's not really the great move that it used to be at this point of time um, until you start to see a change. I think, you know, if a, a Manchester City comes knocking, it's a, it's a different story. Also, Leicester are pretty well cashed up still, we believe, from that Harry Maguire sale. So they probably won't be in a position where they'll see selling one of their prize assets as anything other than a bad idea. Now, talking about Chelsea, a story has emerged this week that Antonio Conte was paid out 50 million bucks Australian for his severance package after, of course, winning Chelsea the title a few years back. He's since moved on to Inter Milan. And Roman Abramovich, since coming in in 2004, has paid best part of 200 million bucks just on managers, on seeing them out the door. I mean, there's, what, a couple of decent players in the window straight away, Ash. Well, don't mess with the Russians, do you? Uh, you know what happens. I mean, Luke will, will know that better than anyone. Uh, you know, they are trigger-happy. They don't care. You know, there's no logic at times. If, if the relationship crumbles, then that's it. You're on your way. Um, but it does look like a little bit of wasted money, but that's 
that's the industry they're in at the minute. You know, the fans demand instant action when things aren't going well. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> you're definitely right there about the Russians. And if the relationship breaks down, then they, they don't really care which which way or what or how much it costs them. You know, there's a that's it. You're done. See you later. Um, they'll try not to pay you. But um, but if you if you can get it, then good on you. And <laughs> I think Abramovich probably wishes he wasn't in the, in the UK where he's forced to pay that money out. Indeed. Well, Conte is absolutely laughing at the moment. Top of Serie A with Inter Milan. And it seems as though Manchester United, Inter Milan's feeder club, because, of course, Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, and now apparently Ashley Young might be on his way from Old Trafford to the San Siro. This one got legs for you, Ash? Well, it's a strange one for me. You know, you look at his age, 33, 34. Um, I know from being in and around the, the camp in Perth uh, that they look at Ashley Young as being a, a bit of a leader. You know, he's, he's one of the old school generations that, that seem to be going out the game. He's someone that speaks and can speak well in the media as well. So, um, you know, he'll be looking at that move thinking this is my last one. So if there is any, any sniffs in that, I'm sure he, he would jump on it with both hands. Um, and he's not getting a lot of game time. But uh, for me, I, I can't quite understand uh, the logic behind it. Before we move on from the transfer segment, Luke, uh, let's turn our attention to the Aussies because it's been a great couple of months for Aaron Moy in particular. Matt Ryan's had a good season over the, the course, even though he's had a few up and down performances of late. At what point do we see Brighton throw the money at Huddersfield to get Moy on board? Or do they risk someone else coming in and grabbing him, you think? I think I think they will they will go for him. I think obviously the position Huddersfield in as well in the championship they'd be they'd be definitely looking to sell him. Um, but look, the form that he's in, if he can continue that form, look, he's, he's you know he's played a few good games and and scored his scored his first goal, which is great. But if he can get a little bit more of that consistency um, in dominating games, which has been at, at late, then I'm sure there's going to be many suitors for him. But uh, you know I, I definitely think that Brighton will be looking to purchase him sooner rather than later. Brighton go to Goodison Park and face a rejuvenated Carlo Ancelotti's Everton this weekend. Everton were one of the clubs actually linked with Aaron Moy a little while ago. Realistically, what is his level? If we talk about bigger clubs coming in for him, you know, our social boys made some great graphics the other day of him playing in Arsenal's Invincible side for a bit of fun. Realistically, what kind of club do you think could come in for Moy considering the form he's in right now? Yeah, I think I think just a, a, a top 10 Premier League club. I don't think... Um I don't think he's at the level to, to break into one of the, the top five or six teams in the Premier League just yet. I think, um, you know, he's really uh, solidified his, his ability and his, his, his position in the Premier League. Um, but to, to really break into that next level, I don't think he's just quite there yet. Same question for Matt Ryan, Ash. Well, obviously he's, uh, he's consistent. Obviously at Brighton has had one or two little hiccups. Um, I think when you go to that... You know, top four. I think you need, as well as a good goalkeeper, you need a bit more stature for me. He's not the biggest. Um, you know, they're all six foot three, six foot four clones. The 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 top keepers in the world. So you know, I think he's just a little bit below that with his his physicality and his size. Um, and and Moy, it's a, it's a funny one, Moy, because some players are suited to play in the Premier League and it suits them better because it's a lot, you know, more technical. The, the football's played on the ground a little bit more. We're in the Championship, you know, forty. Six league games, it's tough. It's a lot more physical, and and, and I know a lot of players that that suit the Premier League that don't actually suit the Championship. Although he did play there for Huddersfield, but that was in a unique kind of style. So for me, Moy just has to go to a team that plays football and plays it where he's getting used to the best of his abilities.
Well, let's look ahead to another big weekend back in the Premier League and the Women's Super League as well. Let's start with that, Luke, in fact, because we saw at the weekend, Sam Kerr made her debut for Chelsea. She had a a great assist, a backheel assist. She was very much targeted as well. Reading's goalkeeper took her out, was sent off. It seems as though she will have a target on her back. But this weekend, she faces a Bristol City side coached by fellow Aussie and former Perth Glory teammate Tanya Oxtoby. And considering that Arsenal put 11 past Bristol, Surely this is the weekend we see Kerr maybe get a couple on the score sheet. Yeah, look, I think she's always got a goal in her, um, the quality that she, she possesses. And, and obviously she got off to a great start with Chelsea, a, a fantastic back heel uh, for the assist and a, and a good welcome to England with the Reading goalkeeper absolutely clattering her. But, you know, full credit to her. She, she got dusted herself up. She got up. She took it on the chin and, um, and you know, got on with it. And I've, I've got no doubt that obviously playing Bristol City on the weekend that, that she's going to get on the score sheet. What do you reckon the conversation would have been like uh, in the dressing room for Reading and probably Bristol City and everywhere else that Sam Kerr goes to? Would it be a, a planned move, you think, to, to rough her up, sort of make her feel welcome and introduce her to the physical aspects of the English game? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but you only know, have to watch a player that, you know, she's not she's not shy of that and then she's been she's been kicked around for a while now. Obviously played in America as well where it's nice and tough, so she 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 won't be phased by any of that. The, the Bristol one's an interesting one. They actually won their first game at the weekend and they, they beat Man City I think uh sitting second, so maybe that's not a you know, there's been a little bit of a turnaround there, so maybe it's not as easy as it looks on paper with them being second bottom. We've actually got a feature published uh, today, being Wednesday on Optus Sport, which is with Tanya Oxtoby, coach, Aussie coach of Bristol City. We actually mic'd her up at training and she went mad at a few of her players. It's worth uh, tuning in for a look. We will also have Alicia Ferguson on scores on Sunday this weekend, 9am uh, Eastern Daylight Savings Time live or on demand on Optus Sport. And we'll give a full preview of Sam Kerr's second match in the Women's Super League. We'll also be talking at length about the Italian game and guys, one further prediction I wanted to get from you, considering the title race in Syria is unbelievable at the moment between Inter and Juve. Who's top come Monday morning? Obviously, Inter at home to Atalanta. Atalanta, obviously, not a bad side, sitting uh, in fifth. So that's a, a little bit of a tricky one. And, and obviously, Juventus away at Roma, um, with them being away. But I think I think Juventus will will take care of Roma. Um, I could possibly see a a draw of Inter Milan, so I'm going to Juventus. Obviously, uh, Ronaldo just did a bit of form as well. Yeah, first hat-trick for him in Serie A. That's now a hat-trick in the Premier League, La Liga, of course, and in Italy too. 56 in his career, not too bad. Him coming into form, does that say more you think about their push in Serie A to regain that title or maybe should be making the opposition fairly wary when it comes to the Champions League, Luke? Yeah, look, you can look at it whichever way you want. I think, obviously, you know, Ronaldo coming into form is always going to be going to be great for Juventus. I think, um, you know, going away to Roma, though, on the weekend, it's not an easy one going there to Rome. Although Roma are a little bit up and down. But I think, um, you know, into the form they're in, they're going to they're gonna beat Atalanta at home. So I think, uh, I think it could be as it stands uh, come Monday morning. Well, let's hope it stays like that for the majority of the season. We haven't had a really super close title race for a few years in Syria, but we're certainly getting one at the moment. Now, let's turn our attention to the Premier League this weekend. The fixtures kick off on Saturday morning. Sheffield United at home to David Moyes and West Ham. Saturday night's matches kicks off with a London derby. It's Crystal Palace at home to Arsenal. Then a heap of fixtures includes Chelsea Burnley, which we spoke about a little earlier. Everton Brighton with the Aussies in action. Leicester against Southampton. Manchester United at home to bottom place Norwich. Wolves against Newcastle and the late kickoff or early kickoff on Sunday morning Australian time. 
Tottenham and Liverpool. The two games overnight on Sunday. Bournemouth at home to Watford. That is well and truly a relegation six-pointer. And Aston Villa at home to Manchester City. And we spoke a little bit earlier about the bushfire situation in Australia and how so many people, athletes, have come out as well as the general public come out and really supported the bushfire appeal by donating money. And here at Optusport, you may have seen, we'll donate 1000 bucks for every goal scored in the Premier League this weekend. So obviously we're hoping for five fives and three twos and Aaron Moy hat-tricks and we'll see if we can get Matty Ryan to throw a few in uh, against Everton at the weekend as well. But the good news, gents, this is hot off the press. The Premier League will match it dollar for dollar. So it shows that uh, they're getting behind it. And also, I guess the global nature, Luke, of this story obviously affects plenty of us here in Australia, but it's really taken off around the world. Yeah, it has, and, and and look, that's fantastic. Uh, obviously, from the sport and the Premier League, and and everyone who's who's made an effort to to make a difference and and to help. I think um, you know it is, and when you and when you when you do, you look at it, you can't quite grasp the just how big this disaster has been. It's been catastrophic for us these fires, and and I think the fact that it's reached all around the world and and you're getting those responses is fantastic. Uh, just to show there is uh, some really good human beings around the world. If we're looking at those fixtures, which one produces the 5-5 five, five <laughs> the weekend, do you think, Ash? Well, Man City away at Villa looks like uh, a goal fest, if you must be honest. I think Man United have got to have a reaction at home to Norwich as well, so they could could stick a few in. And, uh, you know, Leicester are always good value for uh, a few Vardiatrics, aren't they? Indeed. Just finally, prediction for your glorious return for the Wollongong Wolves next weekend. Oh, look, one thing's for sure, I won't get through 90 minutes. And the the second thing is for sure that not one of my players is going to be able to run past me. <laughs> no, not both. Not the ball and then won't go past me, put it that way. <laughs> You've heard it here first. We'll see if we can get some cameras down and get some vision of that because some great names involved. Should be a fantastic afternoon. Ash Westwood, Luke Wilshire, thanks very much for your company, guys. We'll see you next time. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Thank you. Nice one. And for you guys out there as well, until the next Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.